Welcome, superhero. Your heart is in the right place. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. In this second season of the Superhero of Love podcast, I'm gathering tips from thought leaders about how we can unpandemicize our hearts, heal the effects of the pandemic on our hearts, and love and be loved more than ever before. So let's get this heart party started. Welcome. All right. Welcome, superheroes. We are here for a very special interview with Ariel Ford. Ariel Ford is very special in my life because she is the sister of Debbie Ford, who is woven throughout Superhero of Love, my book, woven intricately through it. And she's one of the first people that I had read it to give me her approval and comments. And she gave me comments on how I could best serve Debbie's legacy in the book. So she worked with me on that. And then she was very incredibly generous and gave me a blurb for the cover of the book, which is so incredibly sweet. And I'm always um, indebted to her for that. But she is an amazing person. She is a love and relationship expert for decades, an author, many uh, uh, best-selling books, including the international bestseller, The Soulmate Secret, which you've probably heard of. She is a speaker. She is a, she has also helped birth in her previous incarnation. She helped birth many, many beautiful books, including those of um, Deepak Chopra and helped, um, helped, helped make Deepak who he, who he is today. <laughs> and her mission on this earth is a superhero of love mission for sure. It is to find love, to keep love, and most importantly, be love. So author, speaker, relationship expert, Ariel Ford, welcome. Thank you, Bridget. It's good to be with you again. It's been a while. It's been a while. Ariel was on the first season of the Superhero of Love podcast, and a lot has happened since then. So uh, one of the things that happened, and one of the things that I didn't mention in her CV there, is that she is now a novelist. And we are here to talk about her novel that I just read this weekend. That is such a fun ride. Um, and we're going to talk intricately about it. First novel out of the gate, super fun. And we're here to talk about that, uh, her amazing new novel, which is called Love Thief. Ariel has written these amazing self-help books that have helped people open their hearts and bring love into their lives, et cetera. She has done so much to help heal thousands of hearts on this planet earth. And this book, while it's a novel is still interlaced with all that beautiful help, right, Ariel? I mean, it's like, it's almost like there are some people who I can imagine couldn't take it in the form of a self-help book, but they can take the, the wisdom when it's woven through this, which is so inspiring to me. And this is this season of the podcast, we are also talking about ever so briefly in each interview, unpandemicizing our hearts. In other words, the things that happened in the pandemic that affected our hearts and or that uh, exalted our hearts. And one of the things that happened in your pandemic is this book. Yeah. So I want to talk to you, please, will you tell us first about your pandemic and how it was shaped by this book? Well, what happened was uh, a little more than five years ago, 
the title for the book, The Love Thief, and the first line of the book sort of came through. And when it came through, I went, go away. <laughs> I've written 11 nonfiction books and writing a novel was never on my to-do list. And the book stalked me. It kept revealing itself as a movie in my head. And it was really annoying. And I was like, get the F out of here. I am not going to write a novel. I don't know how to write a novel. And so the, the story kept coming and coming. And I could see that a lot of the story takes place in Rishikesh, India. And of course, it's a really interesting story because you write what you know, you know, but this was really coming through. So um, what happened was at one point, I finally said to God, it's like, this is so annoying. If I'm really meant to write this book, then I need to manifest a business class ticket to India to go and do some research. And I was like, okay, that's never going to happen because it's a $7,000 ticket. 48 hours later, I had the ticket in my hand and I was like, okay, I'm going. And I went to India and everything I was seeing in my head, all these different scenes, I was tripping over. I was falling into magic was happening left and right. So when I came home, it was like, it was then um, January of 2019 when I came home and I started writing. And by November of 2019, I thought I was done with the book and I just let it sit. It was the end of the year. And then of course, four months later, the pandemic started. And so I knew that, uh, that the book that I had finished or I thought I had finished would have a sequel. And I knew what the sequel was. Wow. But here we are in March of 2020 and I'm already way over 60 and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I could die. And if I die, the sequel's not going to get written. And since I can't work and I have nothing to do, maybe I should write the sequel now and incorporate it into the book. So the entire pandemic, I was on this mission wow. writing. And that's, you know, that's what happened. So, I, you know, the book is long. It's 105,000 words. Normal books are like 60,000, so it's long. But it's such, for me, I got to say what I wanted to say in a way that I wanted to say it. So what the book's about, it's a book about, well, here's the tagline. He broke her heart, he crushed her dreams, and then karma intervened. <laughs> so it's a romantic spiritual thriller with a very juicy revenge subplot and a happy surprise ending. And I have a Hollywood producer who wants to turn it into a limited streaming ser series. Oh. And she says the book is Eat, Pray, Love Meets Dirty John. That's and that's exactly, that's yes. exactly what it is. That is right? exactly what it so, is. So, you know, my, my heroine, Holly, suffers. She suffers the worst betrayal from her fiance, from her best friend slash business partner, from the universe. She nearly dies in a car accident. Like, her life is just shit and she is not a believer and she's not a seeker because she's the daughter. She's the only child of a single mother who is a new age baby boomer, a woman who hung dream catchers over her crib. So she's a reaction to all of that. She's not a believer. And yet when her life falls apart, she inadvertently ends up in Rishikesh, India 
and magical healings begin to occur. People with lessons for her to learn from occur. And it's this incredible journey of going from where the worst thing that ever happens to you eventually turns into the best thing. You know, so without, isn't that always the way too? Always like, and that's the lesson we don't know. It's ugh. like when you're at the bottom of the pit, no one can tell you someday you'll be grateful for this experience because you yes. want to punch them. But yes. it's the truth. It's ugh. just the truth. So so the love thief is really this incredible journey. And um it was the hardest thing I've ever done because having written 11 nonfiction books, I knew I was a good writer. I knew mm -hmm. I was a very solid writer. And I also knew that I didn't know how to write fiction. And the learning curve was beyond, beyond, beyond anything you could ever imagine. And at the end of it, here's what I know. You have nonfiction and you have fiction. And the only thing the two have in common <laughs> is that they both use words. Other than that, it's like a whole different universe. So, so it's been, you know, the pandemic for me uh, was amazing now on the other side of it right. because I did something I didn't want to do. I ended up doing it really well, but the process was beyond painful. It completely flipped my entire belief structure about where, who I am, where I'm at and what I believe in. Like, mm. it's tell me that tell me that what okay so I spent that? you know over 30 years studying the law of attraction and a good 15 years teaching the law of attraction and I know that it works I have proof that it works I can teach you how to work it and what I discovered is that it is a low level 101 way of living that the deeper more important way to go is is to understand the role of destiny right. and to receive your destiny. And in order re to receive your destiny, you have to get really comfortable with not knowing and uncertainty and I not being that. a control freak. But the benefit is if you can get there, if you can receive your destiny, your life will be so much bigger than you could ever imagine because our imaginations are limited to what we can see and what we think we want. And so if you're going after what you want, well, it's not a bad thing. You're limited in what you can have if you just receive. Yes. It could be better than even your wildest dream. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask you something because I totally agree with you. And, you know, I did this, I worked on a celebration of oneness back in when the secret first came out and we we showed it at, it had just come out and it was a big thing at the Pasadena Convention Center introducing it and the consciousness of the time when that came out it was this exalted you know like it brought us all up a level and now we're ready to go to the next level which is what I you know what I'm saying you are issuing us forth just like you did with your help even with the secret issuing our consciousness up higher back then. Now, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with you that there's another step above this. And it is tied into, I believe, you just said the word destiny, but you also earlier said the word karma. And this is one of the questions I have on this little paper here to ask you is, tell talk. I want you to talk about karma because I have recently, not a lot of people, this is not in our normal vernacular in the Western world, right? 
people don't have a relationship with it. And I am actually in an incredibly difficult, one of the most difficult personal experiences I've ever had. I'm in the middle of it right now. It's like at its peak of pain. And one of the things that I'm trying to talk to this person about is karma. And it's so, it's almost like it's impossible to talk about karma with people that have no conscience. So I'd love no, to hear and, you say. And it's not your job to convince them. Right, right. And that's yeah. that's the other thing, you know, like, like so for me, I understand this is my personal belief system. I believe that we've all lived many lifetimes that those lifetimes may even be happening simultaneously in other dimensions, that what goes around comes around, what you put out comes back, and there's a price to pay for that. You know, so, you know, having been through painful periods, even though I can't tell you exactly why it happened, I can accept the fact that clearly in this lifetime or another lifetime, I did, let's say I killed you okay yeah, now right. you're com you're coming back and i feel like i'm dying you know that there's yes. some karmic debt to be worked out i'm not blaming myself as a victim i'm not being a victim i'm just reframing a bad situation to okay somewhere along the line i really messed up okay what can i do to rectify it now in real time what's the fastest possible way to uh, apologize to get to forgiveness, to be with what is, which is, I think, the first and most important step, just to accept that, yeah, you know, this really sucks, and I don't like it, and I wish it was different, and I just have to accept the fact that, you know, it's like, like there are people in our lives that they may be blood relatives, or they may be friends of 30 years, and we can't eliminate them, and we know we can't eliminate them, but what we can do, and what I do, is I only interact with them in homeopathic doses. Oh, that's I can a great way to control. put it. Yeah, you know, I can microdose them <laughs> in the smallest possible way. So I'm not killing off a 30-year friendship or, you know, a 15-lifetime, you know, relationship. But I am protecting myself and my energy by how much time I spend with them. And of course, I just turned 70 recently. So oh now gosh. that... Yeah, now that I'm this age, time is really precious, right? And yeah. how with whom I spend my time is even more precious, right. you know? So I wish I kind of would have learned that sooner. But now that I understand it, you know, I'm never, ever again saying yes to something that I'm not a hell yes to. If I'm not a hell yes, I'm, nope, sorry, I can't. You right. know, that's the other valuable thing about the pandemic because during the pandemic, it was the greatest excuse. You know, people's like, oh, we're going to be in San Diego. We want to stop by and see you. It's like, no, sorry, my husband has a lot of underlying conditions and nobody has crossed our threshold in two years and will not. Right, right, <laughs> right. Boundaries. Right. And, and boundaries I mean, have never been my issue. But when it became a life and death issue, you right. know, regardless right. of what your thinking is, like, you know, we're, we're both of a certain age of certain conditions, you know, getting pneumonia would kill us. I think that there's a, a beautiful thread also with uh, oh, this, this theme that you have in your book about God making mistakes. Did God make a mistake? Right. <laughs> and, and yes. karma and also that everything's perfect, right? Like all three of those threads, because even in this 
like for instance, the incredibly difficult thing I'm going through right now, I know it's also perfect and that it's going to end better than either of us can even imagine. That is clear, right? And if you, I feel like if you flow with your karma, like you just get, I don't know which lifetime this happened or if it was three weeks ago that I incurred this karma, but if you flow with it, toward it, with the river of the learning, then do you find that the best thing comes out? Well, and it did in this novel, by the way. Right. And and Werner <laughs> Erhard always had this great line where he said, understanding is the booby prize. So even if somebody said to you, I told Bridget, I am 100% certain this happened in a lifetime in 1750 when you were in France and this and this happened. It doesn't make the problem any better or go away any faster because you right. now understand where it came from because you're dealing with it in real time, which is why for a long time, like I used to be interested in past life regressions mm -hmm. and then I totally stopped. It's useless and nonsense to know any of that stuff. All I want to do is be in this now moment that my feet, wherever my feet are, are my point of consciousness and just do what Ramda said, just be here now. Because as we know of students of consciousness and understanding quantum science, there is no time. There's no past. There's no future. There's just this now moment. And we also know about the unified field where we are already connected to everything and everybody. So there's nothing to know, nothing to do. There's just some way to be and right. to be with, I'm okay with what is. And right. everything in the end is going to be okay because it right. always has been. So I'm going to just leave you with on this topic. One final thought. There's a line in A Course in Miracles, which is my favorite line. And it says, in this moment, I have everything that I need. Mm, yes. that is always true even so, in the most difficult of moments yes yes you have fresh air to breathe clean water to drink a chair to sit in of somebody who loves you somewhere to connect with in this moment i have everything that i need uh, and you know i say that to myself many times a day because you know there there are still you know i love that i got to write a book about revenge you know <laughs> I just want to kill somebody, you know, you know, I'm having breakdowns left and right. And I'm just like, okay, who, who, who could I hurt over this? You know, so I just indulge these little fantasies and then I get back to, you know, everything, everything is okay. Everything is perfect. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, which, which, uh, I have everything that I need. You just said this really amazing sentence, even, you know, people to love me, right? The, right. the people that I can reach out to love me. It's one of the things that your character did in this, which I'm always coaching people to do. If you had a problematic mother or a problematic father or a problematic uncle that abused you or whatever it is, you can redefine who mother, father, uncle, you know, you can seek out new positive people to walk into that role, right? Like your main character has a relationship with father. And the other piece of that is, since we are talking about, you know, past lives and past connections is, you know, let's say you had a difficult mother, right? And you consider yourself a spiritual woman and you're on this path and you're trying to be love, peace, whatever. And this mother's so difficult. It's very likely after they die and you get to the other side, 
they're going to say to you, hey, Bridget, did I do a good job really messing up your life so you could get the lesson so you could become the teacher? Did I do okay? You know, because we made these deals. We look like we're the victim of their abuse when, in fact, we decided before we came into body, okay, this is the lessons I need to get. Okay, so I need you to play the role of, you know, Dirty John for me this time around, you know, right. that thing. But and that is karmically and cosmically correct. Yes. Mind-blowing. Yeah. And, and we have the choice not to have toxic relationships in our life. We can choose, okay, like, uh, yes, you know, being the daughter of a toxic narcissist was painful or an alcoholic or whatever. And look where I am today. Look at who I am today. You did your job. And, you know, I'm going to need some separation now till the next lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> but in this lifetime, I love that we can also, we can find like she did. She found maternal figures. She found father figures. She had a great mother in the, I love the mother yeah. in this book. And her auntie. And her auntie, right? But her auntie is another mother, right? Like right. don't, don't settle on one mom, great mom figure in your life. Like they all, it's, a, I love I, I actually, right in the middle right now, writing a, a blog called, uh, is one soulmate enough? Oh, that's great. Because, you know, my definition of a soulmate is that it's somebody you can completely be yourself with, somebody with whom you share unconditional love. And when you look into their eyes, you have the experience of being home. So mm. that's not just for the romantic soulmate. That's for your parents, your siblings, your friends, your coworkers, your cats, your dogs. And you can choose, okay, Bridget, you're going to be my soulmate best friend. And Debbie was my soulmate sister. Mm -hmm. And I have another friend who's my soulmate foodie. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can have more than one soulmate at one time instead of expecting one romantic partner to do everything. That's so fantastic. Oh, my God. I love that so much. <laughs> um, wait, you just mentioned Brian. So Brian yeah. is her husband. Of, it's 25 years. 25 years. Yes. Uh, it, you just, just got to give him a little, you got to give him a little well, time. Tell it, tell them yes. how you met. First okay. Of all. Well, before we even get into that, when this book started coming through and I knew who, who the hero of the book would be, I named him Deepak in the book. He's the, he's a retired professor of psychology, the owner of a spiritual bookstore who's going through his own pain. I knew that I wanted Deepak to have Brian's personality. <gasps> I wanted him to have Brian's big heart and his gentleness and his patience and his love of humanity. Mm -hmm. So I wrote that character. It was the con it wasn't Deepak Chopra's wisdom that's in there. It's a mishmash of everything I've ever learned, but it's Brian's personality that I wrote for the book. That's so beautiful. Thank you for that. Do you want to tell them briefly? So how the you way, guys came the way we met was 26 years ago. I woke up one morning. I was 44 years old. And I was lying in bed with my eyes closed and I was sort of feeling around the bed looking for my 25 pound cat and the cat wasn't there. The bed was empty. All I could feel was this empty space. And I had this epiphany, which was, oh shit, I forgot to get married. And <laughs> I'm lying in bed thinking, how is it I'm 44 and I'm never married? You know, I'm look, I was looking really hot. I had this great career, I had everything going for me. I was living in Beverly Hills. Life was wonderful. And I realized I had been spending all my time and energy and attention on growing my business. And that the only time I ever thought about being alone was usually 11 p.m. on a Saturday night, driving home from a gala or screening or some groovy event. 
realizing I had no one to talk to. And then I'd say, okay, starting Monday, I'm going to work on my love life. Monday would come, I'd get into work, I'd be having fun and I'd forget about it. So in that moment, I decided to make a list of every law of attraction, manifestation, woo-woo prayer process ritual I had ever done and apply them to my love life. And that's exactly what I did. And sometime later, and I couldn't tell you how much time, because at the time I was doing this, there was no plans to write a book or teach it. So I would say it was somewhere from nine to 18 months later, I met Brian at a business meeting. The moment we met, we both knew, everybody in the meeting knew. Three weeks later, we got engaged. And a year later, we had three weddings. Now, how did we both know? Because I don't really believe in love at first sight. We both knew because I started the relationship when I started the manifestation process. I created this thing for myself. I call the golden cord feelingization. I don't believe in visualizations. Visualizations are pretty pictures in your mind. Feelingizations are when you drop down into your heart and you really feel the emotion and the, of the desire already being yours. And I was doing that every single day. I was dropping into my heart. I was sending a golden cord of light into the unified field, into the heart of my beloved. And I started the relationship then so that when we actually met in the 3D world, we were already together. It was already a done deal. And this, this feelingization I give away for free on my website. It's arielford.com. There's a section called free stuff. Go to free stuff and find the golden cord feelingization. It's eight minutes, closed eyed process. And you do it every day. And I call it love before first sight. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Oh, that's genius. It's so beautiful. And I, I love, just so you know, you guys, you can follow follow both of them on Instagram too. Um, and you see it through social media. I know that social media is the shiny, glossy things, but you see that there's this genuine, again, you have this relationship that's like, we just met, like you seem like you're, you're still dating. kind yeah, of. Brian, Brian's only on Facebook. So we flirt on Facebook all day long. Oh, and we Facebook, share our life. Right. Yeah. Because he I doesn't, have, he refuses to have a cell phone. So he has an iPad and he'll be on Facebook I call him the love guru of Facebook because if you write to him, he'll write you back and not just not just an emoji like he really drops into his heart and gives you a message because he believes that his mission in life is to make sure that everybody he comes in contact with has the experience of being loved. Absolutely. And they do. They absolutely yeah. do. One of the I'm starting a course this Saturday called the happy single heart, and it's I'm going to send people your way after they are, they clear their hearts, right? Have if when you're happy in your, in the moment, this moment, then you're much more likely to draw love into your life, of course, but also let's be happy no matter what our relationship status is, right? On my YouTube channel, I have a great video on raising your love frequency. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, but in your book, one of the, somebody says to Holly, the main character, you're glowing and your eyes are all sparkly. You seem so peaceful. Did you meet someone? And she responds, yes, I met myself, which is essentially what the happy single heart workshop is about. Right. But it's so beautiful that you, you encapsulate that moment where we really get it's from that moment forward that she draws in 
Right, because she lived under the Disney version of love. Someday my prince will come. I'll fall in love and life will be magic and we'll live happily ever after. One of the world's big fat lies. Not true. If anybody's ever been married knows there's nothing harder than being married. But um, the, the truth is you're personally responsible for your own happiness. And then if you have a lover or a life partner, that's the icing on the cake. But it is never their job to make you happy. It's your job to make you happy. And the happier you are, as you said, the more likely you are to magnetize in a life partner. Yeah, it's so beautiful. The other thing that I love about your book is that like Eat, Pray, Love, it makes, I've been to India several times and it's one of my favorite places on the planet. And I hope that it draws people to India and to go have those experiences. And like you said, I swear it's not just Rishikesh, it's everywhere in India. Like you drop your foot onto the, onto the, um, the jetway, you know, in India. And it's like, magic is about to happen. Everybody like it's nothing but constant magic when you land, right. No matter where you are in India, but Rishikesh, I haven't been there, but I know. Rishikesh is, is a totally different energy from the big cities because it's the foothills of the Himalayas and the Ganges rivers flowing across it. It's the yoga and meditation capital of the world. People have been meditating there for thousands of years. So it's it's definitely, if you're going to go to India, make sure you go to Rishikesh. But yeah. I also, I'm an a, India, a freak for India. I've been there nine times. I absolutely feel most like me and most at home when I'm in India. Yeah. It's, um, and no matter what city you go to or what country road you happen to end up on, you will come to places, little tiny, teeny tiny temples or little just moments of beauty where for thousands of years, people have been praying and meditating and chanting, right? I mean, it's like, we just don't have that in the United States. These holy places every 12 feet. Yeah. Uh, so I hope it inspires people. It's it's such a great romp. I just want to say that it that's such a great way to say it. Dirty John and uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Like it has, it keeps you moving so quickly. I read it in one weekend with, I read it. So I had a Manny Petty yesterday and I was like, oh damn, I have to, I have I have 200 more pages to go yesterday, right? In my Manny Petty, I read 200 of the 210 I needed to read, right? Like I was just like, I couldn't you read with such velocity. It's crazy because <laughs> you can see it's already a movie, right? Uh, want to talk to you about Santosha and, and unless you don't want to talk about that and you want oh, them no, to discover no, it in the book. I'm happy to talk about Santosha. In fact, this okay. is a rock I keep on my desk called Santosha. <gasps> so for many years, I studied happiness and I thought happiness was the ultimate place to get to. And then at some point, I learned the Sanskrit word santosha. And santosha means utter contentment. And what I discovered is that happiness is contingent about people, places, things, experiences, which can come and go, which you don't always have control over. So I'm happy because I found a boyfriend. I'm happy because I got the new designer handbag. You know, the boyfriend dumps me, somebody steals the bag, I'm not happy anymore. But when you're in Santosha, that's a whole different thing. And in fact, let me see if I can give you a a better description really quickly, because I just, here it is. So here's what the difference is. Contentment is being willing to accept both your happiness 
and your lack of it at any given moment. To love what is, to be able to just be with the good, the bad, or the ugly, and to remain centered and utterly content in appreciation and gratitude. Mm. So beautiful. And so learning that, you know, after spending so many years wanting to be happy, I thought, you know what? I understand I can't be happy 24 seven, that the happiness can come and go, but I can choose Santosha. I can be with what is, mm. I can be accepting and be in appreciation and gratitude for something in any moment. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, and I love that word. I'm I got to tell you a funny story. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So this is the cover of the book, right? Bellissimo. Love it. And I got an email about a month ago from a woman who said, she said, you and I have a mutual friend named Tatiana. I don't know who Tatiana is. She goes, but Tatiana showed me your book page at thelovethief.com. And I want you to know that I'm your cover girl. That's me on the cover of your book. And in this email, she attached a black and white picture of herself looking exactly like that sitting on a rock in Rishikesh, India. No, and she in said, Rishikesh, India. In Rishikesh. And she said to me, not only am I your cover girl, but I was in Rishikesh to overcome a, re- a bad relationship with a toxic narcissist. So you have written, you have written my story in your book with me on your cover. And here's the proof of it. And she said, I'm now back in my home country of Serbia. Serbia. And I'm like, think it. So I call my book cover designer and it's like, Lord, tell me the story of how we ended up with this on the cover. And she said, well, she said, I went to one of my photo services and I typed in yoga in Rishikesh. That picture came up, the black and white picture you have. I licensed it. And then I turned it into the illustration for the cover because I thought that woman resembled Holly from the book. So here we are in a, a world with 8 billion people and Monia from Serbia connects with me because she's my cover girl. How nuts is that? So there's one oh more point. While this is all going on, I'm sitting here talking to somebody about telling them this story. I oh, know I'm talking to Monia. I'm on, a, I'm on a Zoom with her and my tech guy, Steve, is over on that side of the room doing some tech stuff, fixing something. And he, he hears Serbia and he said, oh, tell her I'm in Serbia next week. If she wants to get together, let me know. I'll bring her some of your books. So Steve, my tech guy, took her a couple of copies of my books to Serbia to meet her. Oh, MG. <laughs> I, didn't, I had to look up where Serbia is on the map. I knew it was Eastern Europe. I had no idea where it was, you know, so. So this is the kind of magic that's been happening with this book. I didn't want to write it. And yet, it, you know, I told God I don't want to write it. Yeah. And it happened, you know. Right. Uh, every time I'd have a breakdown, the solution would fall at my feet. You know, uh, when I was looking for a cover designer, you know, I had a list of 15 recommended people from somebody at the Stanford Publishing Course people. And I saw this one name. Her name was Laura. Well, Laura is the name of Holly's mother in the book. So I wrote to her, then we connected and it turned out we knew many of the same people in New York, like just the next right thing. And the next right thing just happened and happened and happened. Oh my God. Okay. You said you have a um, foodie soulmate and I want to talk about food 
because I, one of my favorite books is like water for chocolate and the way that, um, the, the, uh, healing abilities and the, um, abilities for food to hold the energy of the person who cooks it and all that. And it's just, it's such a love, uh, a love tome for food. And yours is now another love tome for food. And I just want you to know that I busted my butt last night trying to find all the ingredients to make the chai because I wanted to have the chai to sip on during this interview, but I couldn't find one of the ingredients. <laughs> so, so it's so, I love books that have recipes intermingled. Right, and so I want a, you to talk about that. I'm not a cook, but I also love books that have recipes. I'd written this book, read this book about Italy once and every chapter had a recipe. I thought, oh, that's so cool. And India is so much about the food. So I have the woman who runs the UPS store around the corner where I'm in every single day is of Indian descent. And she's always bringing, you know, bringing little containers of food for Brian and I. And I said to her one day, I said, well, I'm writing this book. You know, could I come to your house one day and you could show me how to make some basic Indian comfort food? And so I spent several days in her kitchen and she taught me these recipes and everything that's described in the book of Divya's kitchen and how yeah. Divya prays and all of that. All of that is is the story uh, of, of my friend and the story of, of Divya's story of how she had an arranged marriage and how it went bad and the husband had an affair. That's her true story. She yeah. loved to use her story. So what's interesting about the book is, you know, every every interaction in the book in terms of relationships, I took from stories I had either experienced or knew about, and of course, changed the names and changed the circumstances, but they were informed, like like uh, Deepak's story of meeting his wife at the University of Michigan. The woman who was his wife in the book is based on one of my best friends who's been dead for a few years now. She would be 101 if she were alive, but it's also the story of my girlfriend, Jay, who went to University of Michigan. She was of Indian descent. She met this all-American Midwestern guy 40 years ago. They fell madly in love and the parents split them up, but now they're back together. Oh. So, uh, and then people like Sadviji, the, the holy woman, yes. she's my best friend. She's a real person. Oh you know? my God, Aaron. So, yeah. so there's there's this weaving in the book of, of stories and people that... Um, was so much fun for me to be able to share because I'm very fortunate to have these very wise people in my life who've taught me many grand lessons. And so they, they come into the story through the back door as a way for Holly to heal. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you for bringing real, for telling us the backstories. It's so exciting. It feel, it felt really real. Um, speaking of weaving people in, I, I never, of course I met Debbie, um, um, I went to her shadow process workshop. Um, Debbie passed away in 2013. I'd never met your mom, but I heard so many amazing stories about your mom. I just was just curious how Debbie and your mom are threaded through it. Because well, it the, felt first like line, the first line of the book is my mother was right. <laughs> so very much she's present in the book because, uh, you know, she ran my sister's business. They were very tied at the hip, codependent to a certain degree together, you know, and it was really funny. So, 
you know, I played on a lot of the ways my mother would always tell Debbie, do this or do that. And Debbie wouldn't listen to her. And then she would call me and go, oh, my God, mom was right again. You know, so so my mother's energy's in there, you know, and um, and Debbie's uh, energy. too. Oh, totally. Yeah. And because I don't actually know any women who haven't been betrayed and who haven't been in at least one narcissistic relationship. You know, and so what I did was I took the three worst relationships I knew about and blended them into Holly because, you know, she's on a roller coaster of emotions. She goes from anger and rage to the depths of grief and sadness and despair, you know, to, you know, how am I ever going to survive till, you know, she finally gets on a high again. So I just tapped into all the whining and complaining and sad stories that I heard from these three women through their relationship and, you know, wove it into Holly's narrative. Yeah. It's beautiful. And if you love food back to food, the recipes throughout, but there's also a subplot of a Holly being a caterer chef and uh, even bigger and better at the end. Um, The other thing that I had heard of, but had, I've never had a naughty reading. Um, When I was in India, I had, um, I never, just never had one and I had forgotten about them. So do you want to talk about that? And I was thrilled at the, there are really great notes too, at the end of the book, you guys finish the book and then keep flipping to the very, very end. Cause Ariel, you put some really great stuff in the, at their, at your postscript notes. And one of them is about that. Dr. Q is, is real. Yes. Dr. Q is a friend of mine. So basically a naughty reading uh, 5,000 years ago, there was an ancient seer who wrote down on palm leaves in ancient Tamil, the complete, let's say, Akashic records of different people who would come to live in the future. And so there are these bundles of the leaves that that Tamil priests have access to. And if you want to go to see if you have a read, if you can have a reading, if there's a leaf for you, you give them your left thumbprint. That's all. They don't have your name, your date of birth. You know, this happened way before the internet. They have nothing. But with Dr. Q, he now has set it up so that you can do this on Zoom. So you have to upload your your thumbprint and all this information's in the back of my book. And then you pay him $100 and they go on a search to see if they can find the bundle in which your leaf exists. And if they find it, then you get on a three hour Zoom call and you pay the balance, which is 400, it's $500 for a three hour reading. And it's mind blowing. It's totally mind blowing. And then they start by telling you everything that's happened in your life up until this date, the names of your parents, your siblings, where you went to school, what you studied, uh, big major events that have happened. And then once that you come up to date, then they start talking about every year going forward of what's going to be happening, what can be expected. So I've had two of these readings in person in South India. Deepak Chopra took us for these readings. The the people who did those readings for us are no longer on the planet. So I, and I knew that there were other naughty readers, but I also heard not, they were not that trustable. And then this Dr. Q got a hold of me when he was in California once. And I met with him. And he said to me, he said, this is the real deal. He said, go, let me set up a reading for you and you can see for yourself. 
And if you're in agreement that we're authentic, then you can tell your friends about it. And when I had the naughty reading with him, I was blown away. It was as real and as authentic as when I was in the jungle in South India, six hours from the nearest city in a cement block room with a single light bulb hanging down. And there was no fax machine. This was 1998. Okay. There, you know, there was no internet and yet they're reading from this leaf speaking. The translator spoke in what I call English. You know? <laughs> yes. Oh, your mother's name was Sheila. Your father's name was Harvey. Your Brian is your husband. You have a younger sister and a younger brother. Your name is Ariel. You were born on an early, I mean, it was like, oh my it's God. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. Totally, completely mind It's like a movie. It's like it's not real. It's actually, so I video, I videotaped it. And oh. I, I have the videotape. It's up on my private Vimeo channel of my original first reading. So it's crazy, but Dr. Q plays himself in my book. <laughs> Holly has a naughty reading and uh, it's pretty awesome. And if you decide you want to, you know, invest in getting a naughty reading in the book, you can learn how to do it and all of that. So many inspiring things. So many, I really feel like this is going to make a difference for people that wouldn't necessarily read a spiritual book, but would read a really exciting, fast moving novel. It's great summer reading, by the way. Well, my goal is to make it the big summer beach read of 2023. That's really the most exciting thing for me. And, and one of the things I did to sort of help push the book along was um, I created this website. It's the lovethief.com. And there's a bonus on there. It's called the Healing the Heart video series. And I asked eight of the world's top yoga teachers, people like Sean Korn, to make a video where I gave them each uh, an emotion to deal with, like anger or betrayal or, um, oh God, what are the other ones? A heartbreak. And then the yoga teacher gives you the yoga philosophy around getting to forgiveness and the poses that you can do to get to forgiveness. So these are Brilliant. all free for anybody who pre-orders the book or orders the book. And it's... Um, it, what it turned out to be is really useful for me because <laughs> I'm the one who I'm going there all the time. Okay. I'm a little angry right now. I need to do that <laughs> video again. What's that pose I need to do again or, or uncertainty. You know, there's a whole mm -hmm. thing about how to get past uncertainty, you know? So, um, you know, I thought, Oh, I'm creating this bonus for the readers, but the truth is I did it for me and I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for doing everything that you did. And may we all, you know, Deepak, she has, uh, she calls her love Walla. I love the word Walla. Like I first heard the word Walla at the ashram in India, uh, the dish Walla, which was a dish worker, right? The person that's helping with the dishes. But I love that you call Deepak. Um, a love Walla. Yeah, a because love in Walla. India, there are, um, there's an auto rickshaw Walla. There's a chai Walla. Basically, Walla means somebody who's really good at what they do. You know, there's the jewelry walla and the ghee walla and all of this. But I made up the term love walla because I wanted to describe Brian as that. Yes, okay. yes, he and is our, that. our license plate uh, on our car actually says love walla. Oh my God, it's perfect. Yes. That is so yeah. him. You guys follow him on yeah. Facebook, Brian Hilliard. Um, and I just want to say one part of a quote from Deepak to, to finish this out. 
which is your feet are here. Your understanding is what is right now. And I just want to say thank you for having your feet right here with me right now for saying yes to this interview, for writing that amazing book that I know is going to open the hearts and minds of so many people. And I just am so grateful that you're here on this planet making a difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian, for being here in spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, run. Don't walk to thelovethief.com. Thelovethief.com. That's where you can go pre-order Ariel's book and get that bonus content that she was talking about. You can also check out everything else she's doing at arielford.com, A-R-I-E-L-L-E-F-O-R-D.com. And if you liked this podcast, please like it, rate it, review it, tell every single soul you know about it. Um, And if you're curious about everything else that I'm up to in the superhero of love world, please go check out my website at superherooflove.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Um, Stay in touch. Thanks for coming, superhero.